0: Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you here at Christ the King and delight to open God's Word together with you. I invite you to take your Bible, please, if you have one, and turn to the second letter of Timothy, the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. For I read our text this morning, just a word of encouragement to you all. It's, it's great to see this church continuing to thrive and having been a part of this congregation in varying ways since its very inception. Um, it's just a delight to see you here and delight to worship with you here again. And as we pray for Ukraine, I encourage you to continue to pray for your pastor as this is a particular burden on him and on Lauren as they are thinking of their friends and praying for those loved ones in Ukraine. So please continue to intercede for the Hubers during this time as well. Invite you now to turn in your Bibles again, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. and trust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Join me as we pray. Great God in heaven, we need to hear from you afresh today. We thank you for the transcendent power of your word, its efficacy as we've already heard from Isaiah's words to the nation's We also thank you for this reminder in this text this morning of its power and efficacy to the generations. And so, oh God, we need this morning to be reminded of the strength, the stability, the clarity, the authority, the sufficiency of your word in this time of chaos. So guide me as I speak. May my words be faithful to yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wars, rumors of wars, the spiritual forces of darkness, as Paul reminds us, as lying behind the corruption, the distortion, the abuses of people's And indeed, the undoing of the fabric of our own hearts and a society that once looked to God that now shakes its corporate fist in his face. As we, in our particular moment, think about the globe and its increasing chaos, and indeed the chaos in our own lands with new agendas, new ideologies, new pressures on our families, on our churches whether it's new definitions of sexuality, whether it's the impact of critical theory, whether it is Kimberly Crenshaw, or whether it is indeed Liz Cheney. Whatever it may be, we find ourselves at a moment of political, cultural, and global chaos typified by the atrocities being carried out in the land of Ukraine at this very second. I want to begin this morning by actually sharing a story that I shared many years ago, I think, in this congregation, but I think it's relevant. It actually relates to a particular philosopher whom I find fascinating by the name of Jeremy Bentham. He's an 18th and 19th century philosopher, what we know as the father of of utilitarian ethics. And, And Bentham was a genius um, he was able to read at age three, had mastered Latin by the age of four. He was brilliant. The main problem with Bentham was that he knew it. And not only did he use his mind with its brilliant logistical and conceptual abilities, but he also used it to leverage influence in ways that actually are a bit shocking. Before he was Uh, Before he died, he actually insisted that his protege by the name of J.S. Mills, along with others in the philosophical society, ensure that his not only would his um, memory be carried on in the philosophical society, he insisted that his head be mummified and actually had his head mummified so that when they were having the philosophical meetings, philosophical society meetings, that he could still, still be present, and indeed he was. They propped his mummified head up on a chair in the philosophical society meetings. Now I tell you that illustration, it is rather, rather silly in one level. Um, there's a lot of associated stories that I've actually shared the last time when I mentioned Bentham, I won't belabor those, but here's the point that I want to make this morning as we begin. As we think about the society in which we live and the way in which new influences are, in, are, are really upon us, as we were actually reminded in our presbytery meeting yesterday how social media has become the new tool for catechism of our covenant children. As we think about the way in which competing voices are screaming in our ears for how we ought to think about ourselves, our world, our God, our future, our finances, our families, our very identities. The varying and competing voices are all coming from people who are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And in their particular framework, it is, as it were, to whatever attention that we give to these false paradigms It is, as it were, that we're giving credibility to mummified heads, speaking into our ears things that they want us to believe, that are antithetical to the gospel. Paul, later in this letter, reminds Timothy that in this age and the years that would follow after Timothy's work as a pastor, as an understudy of ...of the Apostle Paul, he was reminded that people will stockpile teachers of their own liking. People who will scratch their itching ears and tell them what they want to hear. Well, in that context this morning, at the text that we find ourselves... We we find ourselves this morning in which all of those voices are screaming in our ears, vying as we even sung this morning in the fourth stanza of our first hymn, where the world would seek to capture our hearts. And I want to remind you this morning that in the midst of the chaos, even in an age in which we're seeing a growing number of deconversion stories of people who were once in the faith that are openly repudiating it, that in that context we need moorings in the midst of the madness, and it is in that frame of reference that we begin our text this morning, but there's more, because before we move into the text, all these things that I just shared with you were things that are characteristic of the first century, even as they are of our own. But there was something even more personal in Paul's mind as he writes Timothy here, a peculiar pain that he actually writes about in verses 15 to 18 of chapter 1. Look there with me. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains." But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Here, Paul describes something in his own ministry in which the very people that he had discipled, the very churches that he had influenced with apostolic teaching and preaching, he describes in verse 15, all who are in Asia have turned away from me. There's a peculiarity of pain in the life of the church in which our closest friends at times will turn their backs on us. People sitting in the pew next to you or you next to them. That in view of your own ears being tickled by the mummified heads persuading you of a would-be counterfeit gospel, there's no pain, like the pain of betrayal. And as Paul writes, he's not only mindful of the societal and cultural pressures, the sexual abuses of the first century, the political pressures of the first century, the temptations that were all around the church, Paul is writing to Timothy as one who has suffered the peculiar pain of betrayal. A? Two brutes. How does one survive, let alone thrive, in this world of madness? Well, that's what we find in our text this morning. My goal as we walk through this is for you to find your hearts renewed and encouraged with the very things that have been the theme of this service this morning. The trustworthiness of God and His promises. Look again at verse 1. You, then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Striking that the Apostle Paul, in the context of this broader pain and suffering, and the immediate pain and suffering of the abandonment of his closest allies, as he sits in a prison that evidently people were so repulsed and embarrassed by Paul, they wanted nothing to do with him, Paul reminds Timothy that the source of his strength is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Note, he doesn't say, Timothy, be strengthened in the therapeutic powers of the Bible. He doesn't say, Timothy, be strengthened in your commitments to your political party. He doesn't say, Timothy, be strengthened in the fact that every itch that you want scratched will be scratched. One of the most important features of this reminder to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is that Paul is reminding Timothy, God does not only answer the questions, he actually tells you the right questions to ask. In other words, this is a calling to submit to the entirety of what we know as the grace of the gospel, the identification of what really our sin problem is, the identification of what God has done in Christ Jesus, something we will see later in verse 8 in particular. What Paul has in mind for Timothy here is that he would be shaped entirely in his mind, and his heart, and be fortified in the grace that is found exclusively in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, Timothy, please do not think that your life and its stewardship, your ministry and its effectiveness is somehow tied to you. It is tied to the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. I have found myself in these recent weeks doing what I used to do a lot and then for 18 months didn't do it all and that's travel. I'm now enjoying like some of you um, the, the madness of airlines beginning to fly again and acting as though they've never done this before and airports as well and one of the things I've done actually in these recent weeks in my weekly travels is I began listening to the long-form presentation on Christianity Today of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of you have listened to it. And a, a, a very extensive treatment of what took place in Seattle under the leadership of Mark Driscoll there. One of the most telling features of that documentary was an episode in which Mark Driscoll, with some of his colleagues were actually, I believe they were in, Uh, overseas in the UK, and they were traveling together, and um, at one point after a meeting, there was a whole host of people that wanted Mark Driscoll's signature. And his colleagues, after they got in the car, looked at Mark and, and said, what in the world is going on? And his response that still is like a zinger in my own ears and heart was, well, I'm a pretty big deal, you know. What we find in that whole portrayal of the rise and fall of Mars Hill is a, an attempt to strengthen oneself in one's sense of self. And that very notion, that perversion of the gospel is dominant in our day and age in which we idolize celebrities and actually think of the gospel in terms of therapeutic notions as opposed to biblical ones. And as Paul seeks to encourage Timothy as his understudy, in this very last letter that he's written to Timothy, he wants Timothy to be reminded that the source of his strength the locusts of his moorings are not in himself. They come from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We all, not each of us in this room is called to vocational gospel ministry, but all of us as the people of God are called to find our strength in Christ Jesus, in the grace of that is found only in him. In verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul says, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. I won't spend anything more than this moment on this verse, simply to say that Paul recognizes that the stability of the church, its future, The future of the church for your children and your grandchildren is being tethered to the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, the faithful instruction. Paul says, What you've heard me preach in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to others also, so that they might be able to teach. Four generations, what are you doing at Christ the King this morning? with a view towards those generations. If it is any place other than the grace that is found in Christ Jesus, you will find yourself the rise and fall of Christ the King, Presbyterian Church in Conchahokan. Several images are used. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This particular particular military metaphor is one that appears many times in scripture. I simply want us to note that Paul is reminding him, reminding Timothy, that his calling is of a commander and chief whose kingdom is not of this world. It is of an entirely different order. And as you reckon with this day and age and the chaos that is seeking to grab hold of your soul, I remind you that you serve King Jesus, and to be strengthened in his grace is to identify with his kingship. It is to submit to his lordship. It is to yield to his authoritative voice. It is to be a discipler, a a disciple, one who is learning to obey all that King Jesus has commanded. And this is a following that indeed involves suffering. Paul reminds Timothy later in this text that he too is suffering as a good soldier as he is chained to a Roman guard in a Roman prison. But for us to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is to enforce the very reality that what is true, what is reliable, what is sustainable is not something that comes from the mummified heads speaking in our ears. It comes only from King Jesus. Be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4, he continues, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We must only have eyes for Jesus. Fixing our eyes, as the author of Hebrews will put it, on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, on whose face are your eyes set this morning. To be strengthened in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus is to be a good soldier whose eyes are fixed on your commander-in-chief. Verse five, he uses the image of an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. My family and I on Friday night, our youngest daughter turned 18 on Thursday, and my wife and I also celebrated our 32nd anniversary same day and a delightful time. So on Friday night, a couple of my other kids and a spouse, we gathered for dinner, we had a wonderful dinner, and then we played a game, a game that I've not played before. I'm not a board game, I've often thought they were aptly named board games. Um, But that said, we we played this new game, and as we were playing this game together, one of my children was the, the one who really knew how to play this game, or so we thought. And so we were playing the game, and as we were playing, my daughter would say, well, that's not the way we play it. Well, we would pull out the rule book, and we'd say, well, that's what the rules say. Well, how many of you in your family games have experienced this? You play a board game, and you say, well, I know other people that play it that way. This is the way we play it. Well, notwithstanding the the chaos that that can produce in a family, I would also remind you that that particular paradigm has found its way in the church. We do it our way. I'm going to do church my way. I'm going to follow Jesus my way. I'm going to play by my rules. And Paul reminds Timothy, the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Not rules that he or she makes up as he or she goes along, but the rules that are given by the one in charge. As we think about what it means to be strengthened in this day and age to find our moorings in Christ Jesus, I remind you that our standard is the Word of God. And in our wonderful Presbyterian heritage, we have a, we're standing on the shoulders of people who have gone before us as we understand the Word of God faithfully summarized in the teaching of the Westminster Standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger and shorter catechisms. These are tools for the people of God to say, this is what we believe God's Word says. And it is those rules, those guides... That maintain our fidelity, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus as a good soldier and as an athlete who participates according to the world the, 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 the rules that God has given verse six, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops my Father grew up on a farm in northwest Missouri. Many of my family members also have that agricultural backdrop. And my favorite thing as a child, when we would go to see our family, was to go out and, well, besides driving the go-kart, that was always the best part. But, but going to the farm, seeing the animals, and, and, and seeing also the crops at varying stages. Sometimes you look at the ground and there's nothing there. My uncle would work that ground and for some period of time you would see nothing and then all of a sudden the, 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 the plants begin to sprout, the corn begins to sprout and then, then you'd come and later that corn may be 10 feet tall. But the image of the farmer is taking the long view. <laughs> that the work that you do now you may not see fruit from. This is not instant gratification. In fact, if you look at chapter 1 that I didn't read the prior text, Paul lays these words out to Timothy with a view for that last day when Jesus Christ is going to come back. And this image of the hardworking farmer who is the one who will Have the first share of the crops. There's a sweet sort of irony here. Yes, it's the long game, but the farmer, (laughs) those who plant the seeds in the right time, are the first ones to enjoy the fruit of that harvest. Some weeks ago, I had an opportunity to meet a, a man from Yemen who, 26 years ago, was an arms dealer in Yemen. An ardent Muslim who had come under the discovery of the government had been thrown in prison in Yemen. And while he was in prison, if you know anything about Yemen, it's usually ranked in the top five of the most difficult countries in the world to live because of the government, the oppression, the persecution, even as a Muslim, as a Muslim uh, in a Muslim country. But he was thrown into prison because of his arms smuggling, And while he was in prison, he was tortured. So his family paid a bribe to the guards to allow him to escape the prison for a a, a day at a time to go to a hospital that was actually run by an Anglican mission in which there was a Dutch doctor working. Her name was Tia. And while he was being cared for by Tia, he tells the story now. He found in her the most kind, loving person that he'd ever met in his life, and he was taken why would she come to this God-forsaken place and actually bandage up his wounds from his torture in the prison? Well, through that, those encounters with Tia, Ashraf began to hear words about Jesus. When he was put back in prison and he was made well again, his family decided to put forth money one more time for a... Um, a bribe to get him out of prison, which he did. He was released from prison, and he went immediately back to see Tia. They were caught. But prior to them being caught, he had been given from her a Bible in Arabic. He took that Bible, as he tells the story now, because he thought, you know what, I'm going to show the government that I still don't care. He took the Bible, (laughs) not because he cared about Christ yet, but because he wanted to show the government in defiance that he would actually own a Christian Bible and was not afraid of being thrown back in prison again. Problem. He started reading it. And as he read that Bible, he actually came to faith in Christ, but the moment that he and Tia were caught, he was kicked out of the country, and so was she. He ended up in Egypt as a new Christian, Never had any further contact with her. And as he made his way to Egypt, he met a Coptic woman whom he decided he wanted to marry. Problem, those who are from the Coptic tradition don't marry former Muslims, even if they are now followers of Christ. They begged and pleaded with the leadership of the Coptic church to marry them, and there was refusal after refusal after refusal. Finally, one minister said, you know what, I will marry you, but only at five o'clock in the morning with no one else there. So he married them, and the family rejected him, so they left thinking they were making their way to Australia. They made a stop in Cyprus, and now, 24 years later, they're still there. And while he was in Cyprus, he early on began to hear about this radio ministry from Cyprus into Yemen. And that radio ministry was actually preaching the gospel to people in Yemen. Using satellite technology, and he thought, well, you know, I actually have a degree in video, and in radio, and in television, why don't I go see if I can get a job here? So he knocked on the door, told them who he was, and he began not only continuing the radio program, but much to his own risk, began a television program that is being beamed to this day into Yemen. Coupled with that, by the way, not all social media is bad, he began using social media to reach those in Yemen as well. Well, here's where the story gets interesting. About 10 years after he was in Cyprus, his phone rang. There was a woman on the other end of the phone and she said to him, I am very interested in Yemen and I uh, really would love to find out more about what you're doing in your gospel ministry into Yemen. So he told her, and as he was listening to her voice, he said, is your name Tia? And she said, how do you know my name? And he said, well, I'm Ashraf. Do you remember me? And she thought and he said, no, you remember. I'm the one that you bandaged up in the hospital and you told me about Jesus. You gave me a Bible. I am now a follower of Christ. She began to weep and he invited her to the studio in Cyprus. She traveled from her Dutch homeland there and told him the story. When she had returned back to her homeland, having been kicked out of Yemen, people in her church said, how many people did you lead to Christ in Yemen in your years in that hospital? She said, to my knowledge, none. You mean to tell me you went to that God-forsaken place and you did not lead one person to Christ? Ashraf was crushed when he heard that story of the way she had been treated and when she went back to her home church. He said, "I want to show you something." He brought her into his office, and on the bulletin board on his office, he had small pictures all over this board of people through the radio ministry to Yemen and the television ministry to Yemen the social media ministry to Yemen, of hordes that have now become followers of Christ Jesus. And he looked at Tia and he said, you know, there would not be one person up there if it had not been for you. Sometimes we don't get to see the harvest right away. Our work is like that of a farmer. We are diligent to do what God has called us to do in Christ. We are diligent to do what God has called us to do right here in Concho Hocken. And it is only thereby that we are strengthened in the grace that is found exclusively in Christ Jesus. By being good soldiers, being good athletes, being hard-working farmers. Verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Timothy, you want to know what it means to be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus? Think through these things I have told you. Believe them, receive them, steward them, meditate, marvel, and then minister, Timothy. And I say the same to you this morning. In the midst of of the madness of this day and age, your mooring is to be found exclusively in Christ Jesus and His grace. Paul reads or writes to Timothy in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as I preached in my gospel. Timothy, this grace that I'm speaking about is not some sort of ethereal or intellectual or philosophical or even ethical ideology. Timothy, this is a gospel that is grounded in what God has done in Christ Jesus. Jesus. The historical realities of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. This Christ who is described as the offspring of David, who was raised from the dead. This is a reference to Paul's earlier comments in Romans 1, 3, and 4 about this Jesus Christ who is great David's greater son. Timothy, in your gospel ministry, as you get involved in the hearts and lives of people, you may too feel like everyone turns their back on you. But remember Christ Jesus. Remember not only the grace of God in Christ, but the work of God in Christ. Fruitful ministry, Timothy, is grounded in this Christ, risen from the dead. And then Paul makes this stunning statement, for which I am suffering as a good soldier, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Then he says, but (laughs) the word of God is not bound. Paul is mindful in that particular prison cell as he is chained to this Roman guard. After all who in Asia have turned their back on him, he reminds Timothy to be strengthened strengthened in the grace that is found exclusively in Christ Jesus. And then he says, Timothy, as desperate as my situation looks, do not interpret it through the eyes of of Phygelus and Hermogenes. Timothy, it may look like all hope is lost as I'm chained to a Roman guard, but the word of God is not bound. Every other talking head in your ear every other mummified voice that speaks to you on the networks of television through the tools of social media, therein lies bondage. But as Paul is chained to a Roman guard, he reminds Timothy, even here the word of God is not bound. Put it this way, you are only free When you're chained to Christ. You are only truly free when you are strengthened in the grace that is found exclusively in Christ Jesus and remember Christ Jesus, the offspring of David, risen from the dead. When your life, your values, your priorities, your thinking, the stewardship of your life as a soldier, as a farmer, as an athlete. In the kingdom of God, it may look like you're marginalized. It may look like you're without hope. But do not for a second believe it. (laughs) Because the word of God is not bound. In verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We'll read the subsequent section just in a moment, but note here, Paul has reminded Timothy that in the moment of madness of this age and this stage of life and ministry, Timothy, you are... To be strengthened in the grace of God in Christ. You are to be strengthened in the work of God in Christ. But then verse 10, you are to be strengthened in the plan of God in Christ. We were reminded from Isaiah 55 this morning that the purposes of God will not be thwarted. When He sends forth His Word, it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. You want to be on the winning side? Then align yourselves with the plan of God that cannot be thwarted. Here we find the doctrine of election deployed from Paul to Timothy as a means for his comfort in the certainty of the fruitfulness of his labors. <laughs> you ever thought of election that way? That your work of gospel ministry right here in Conshohocken, yes, you're to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You're to be strengthened in the work of God that's in Christ Jesus. But be strengthened in the plan of God that is unassailable, irrefutable, despite all appearances. As Paul reflects on the hope that election gives us for the fruitfulness of ministry, he writes, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul is reminding Timothy, yes, your faithfulness matters. But even in a context in which a minister of the gospel ultimately denies the God of that gospel and rejects that gospel, the purposes of God are not thwarted, for he cannot deny himself. Our denial does not determine the outcome. And to put it back in the opening language of this sermon, the preponderance of deconversion testimonies do not overwhelm the elective purposes of God his kingdom will prevail are you on the lord's side are you in this congregation this morning mindful that by the gift of the Spirit of the risen Christ, that if you have died with Christ, you will live with Him, you will reign with Him. His kingdom purposes cannot be stopped. There is a particular feature of this text that underlies the entire thinking of the Apostle Paul as he lays out with confidence to Timothy the source of his strength, the source of his hope, that Paul, as one who describes this Gospel as my Gospel, recognizes that the work of God in Christ Jesus is efficacious for him, and it is in that awareness... That Paul reminds Timothy, just as I've been strengthened by Christ, so too must you be. For we are in a battle that has already been won by the resurrected Christ Jesus. His grace, his work, and his plan. Are without threat. people of God we have we have all that we need in Christ Jesus. Our weakness is no match for his strength, our discouragement, no match for his eternal glory. Don't make the mistake of seeking to synthesize the mummified talking heads in your ears and trying to reconcile unbelief with belief. Taking the world's values and the world's priorities and the world's definitions and seeking to make the gospel fit. It is antithetical to all that spiritual deadness will proclaim as real and true. Instead, remember that the mooring for your ministry, the anchor of your heart, as the author of Hebrews will put it, is none other than the grace of God that is found in Christ Jesus, the work of God that was accomplished in Christ Jesus, and the plan of God that King Jesus will deliver to its perfect fulfillment. And he uses people like you and me under that end. Who is on the Lord's side? Will you join me as we close now in prayer, asking the Lord to grant us grace to be strengthened in this great gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, there are many reasons in our minds and hearts that would pull us would seek even to persuade us that this is a foolish message, an empty message, a hopeless message, when in fact, as Paul reminds Timothy, we pray, O God, that by your Spirit you would remind us that the moorings for our life and ministry in the midst of the madness are found in the grace of God in Christ The work of God in Christ. And the purpose and plan of God in Christ. Oh God, would you by your mercy show us once again the freedom that is found in being bound to you and discovering therein lies freedom because the word of God is not bound. Oh God, use these people, this church, and indeed your church around the world, to proclaim this good news in the midst of the darkness. Give us courage where there is fear. Give us clarity where there is confusion. And, oh God, would you grant us grace that where we are tempted to be faithless, that you would show yourself faithful and keep us on the path of life-giving Word of God, shaping our hearts and our lives until Jesus Christ returns to call us home. Even so, come quickly, King Jesus. All God's people said, Amen.